And they, they definitely try to avoid that kind of scenario. Okay, thank you both very much. You heard there Dong Chen, who's head of Asia Macroeconomic Research at Pictet Wealth Management, and Carlos Casanova, senior Asia economist at Union Boncare Privé. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look around the Asia-Pacific stock markets. Uh, in Australia, the ASX 200 up 0.1%. Nikkei 225 in Japan, risen about uh, a third of a percent, half an hour into the open. The Cosby in South Korea is down half a percent. It also looks like we're going to see um, a weaker open for the Hang Seng, losing about 100 points or so in just under an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Jim Gordon and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two showers. Maximum temperature is going to be around 26 degrees and then the outlook is for showers in the next couple of days and windy tomorrow. Temperature right now is 24 degrees, 77% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Ben Chay with the Half Hour News. John Lee has tested positive for COVID after returning to Hong Kong from his first overseas trip as chief executive. A spokesman from the CE's office said Mr. Lee had tested negative on rapid tests during his four-day trip to Bangkok, but a PCR test administered upon his return to Hong Kong last night came back positive. The spokesman said he will undergo isolation and work from home. No other official who accompanied him on his trip have tested positive so far. Mr. Lee had flown to Bangkok to attend the APEC summit and to tell business leaders there about Hong Kong's strengths as a gateway to the mainland and as a centre for innovation, arts and sports. Malaysia is waiting the outcome of tense negotiations as political leaders scramble to form a governing coalition after Saturday's general election produced a hung parliament. Former Prime Minister Mudhidin Yassin says he has secured backing from two political blocs based in Borneo, but is still short of a majority. Longtime opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim is also claiming that he can form a form with form a block with support from two other parties. The palace has given them until 2 o'clock this afternoon to present the name of a lawmaker they think has a majority support in the lower house of parliament. Trisha Yeo, who heads the think tank the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, says Malaysians are anxiously waiting for a definitive result. If there is a stalemate, uh, an impasse of sorts, then this will have to continue. And of course, the fears are what that going to do to the economy, to the markets, be hopefully seeing the light of day by the end of the day so that tomorrow we will see some stability uh, for the country. But having said that, I think for something as serious as deciding who the government is going to be, I think that uh, the various parties and coalitions do also need to exercise caution and not rush to a, a rash decision because Ultimately, policy decisions over the next five years are at stake. The Football World Cup has begun in Qatar with a lavish opening ceremony and a humbling defeat for the hosts. They were easily beaten by Ecuador 2-0. Before the game got underway, world leaders were among the guests who watched a show featuring fireworks, music and speeches promoting unity. Here's the BBC's Alex Capstick. 
It was a really excited opening. When we got here very early, there weren't many people at the Albate Stadium. It's well out of town, 40 kilometres north of uh, Doha, in the desert, really. Not much here apart from our magnificent stadium. The Albate Stadium is designed like a Bedouin tent. It really is very, very impressive, a huge structure right in the middle of the desert. When fans did start arriving, they were really looking forward to this event. Most of them Qataris, of course, and most of them very proud of what their country has done. They didn't want to talk about all the negative aspects and the build-up to this tournament. They wanted to talk about what an achievement Qatar had done by building these new stadiums and all the infrastructure around that in time for the World Cup. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. This morning we're talking about uh, countryside facilities and preservation and in particular conservation plans for the Lantau Mountain Camp. The remote collection of stone huts high up on Sunset Peak and the surrounding area is due for a $12.5 million regeneration and restoration project headed by the Chinese University and supported by the government's Lantau Conservation Fund. The Lantau Mountain Camp is a unique site, nearly 100 years old, and consists of 19 single-storey stone cabins and several supporting structures situated amid a trail network. After 9.15, we'll find out where the best and worst public toilets are in Hong Kong following the latest survey. And at 9.25, we'll be joined by RTHK sports reporter Atom Jung with the latest on the Soccer World Cup. If you want to join the conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us now on the line, we have uh, Mark Lowsby, who's chairman of the Lantau Mountain Camp Residents Association, and also with us is Dan Van Hoy, assistant organiser with the Hong Kong Hiking Meetup Group. Uh, uh, Mark Lowsby, if we can come to you first, good morning, thanks for joining us. Yeah, good morning to you too. Oh, okay, I mean, this is a, a very interesting, like I say, a unique feature up there on Lantau Peak. It's a great part of Hong Kong's history and heritage, I guess you can say. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about what this uh, uh, fund managed by the Chinese U is uh, going to be concentrating on? Yeah, sure, sure. Thank you for inviting me onto, onto the show. Uh, there were a lot of bids for this. Um, we, we joined up with the Chinese U because we thought it was the best one, uh, the best proposal for them. And it had really the uh, preservation and sustainability of the environment uh, up on, up on the, the saddle, as we call it. Yeah. Um, it's been under tremendous pressure. I, mean, I'm, I think you were up there over the weekend, weren't you? I was, on Saturday afternoon, yes. Yeah. How many, were a lot of people? It was really, really busy. Yeah. yeah hun hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah, yeah and this is the thing. It, it's, uh, when we, <laughs> if we go back last sort of 10, 15 years ago, there'd be nobody up there. Uh, and there wasn't really a problem in terms of environment. But the thousands of people going up there... Is really threatening both the the cabins and and the grass and the environment up there, uh, and so the, the Chinese university came along and there's a centre piece of their proposal is that <clears throat> you'll have seen that 
cabin, when you went up, if you went up from Nam Sham, did you go up from Nam Sham? Came up the other way, actually, from oh, uh, Bat Gangao in the end, yes. Did yes, you go but, back down But, but, but I, I, I think I know the one you mean. Is this the one they call the, 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 the caretaker's lodge, yeah, the, right, right next to yeah, the trail? Yeah? That's right, yeah, the caretaker's. Yeah. Now, yeah. originally, the camp was really a summer retreat, so people got for, like, six weeks, two months at a time. And with people living there that long... Uh, the the caretakers was a, was a place for the people bringing up supplies. They could stay the night. Um, they could cook there, and there was a small toilet as well. But now the the cabins we go up all year round. We don't go up for like six weeks at a time. We go up most weekends, mm. and so the uh, the need for the caretakers is is no longer required because we do all our own work in our own cabins. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese university we we agree with them. They would do this up as a, what we call a ranger station. Mm -hmm. So I guess it would be the Ag and Fish, or maybe Country Parks. Their rangers, could, they'd been up, they could stay up there the night. Um, they could look after the, the saddle, patrol it, uh, tr um, in, in case of safety, you know, first aid, you might need people up. Because you can't always land a helicopter up there because of the weather. So if you've got a first aid station there, it would be very useful indeed. So we're very enthusiastic about that main aspect. And I think the other one is also creating new trails, uh, not necessarily going up to the peak, but going round it uh, because of so many people going up there. Alternative trails, uh, well kept, will be an advantage, I think. Uh, good morning, Mark. I was wondering, you're talking about these numbers, when I was dealing with Lantau Island, uh, which was when Noah was a boy, <laughs> uh, many years ago, one of the big issues that we had was, was toilets. Yeah. Public toilets and, and uh, with the volumes you're talking about now, how is how is that being handled? Well, it's funny you should mention it, and I, I was interested to see at nine fifteen you've got the best and worst toilets in Hong Kong coming yes. up because yes. I, I went up there on on um, on Saturday morning, uh, not Sunday. I went up yesterday, is it? And um, I, I just got to my cabin and I had my dog with me, and I hadn't been up there more than two minutes, and the dog hadn't left my sight. And suddenly there was this smell, and he'd been, you know, with, there'd been people camping there overnight, and they'd gone to the toilet. My dogs rolled in their poop, and it's 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 it's, it's, it's disgusting, frankly. Mm -hmm. I had to go straight back down again. It took me three showers to get mm -hmm. this off off his coat, you know. So uh, there are no toilets up there, and I, I, really, camping is not allowed, and and that's one. I understand why people go up there, and hiking is brilliant, it's beautiful up there, but really the camping should be done down in other sites on Lantau where there are toilet facilities. Cause right. it, it really comes back to because there's so many people. So yep. do, you, do, you, do you find that many people are going up there and staying overnight? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Come uh, this last, I was up there New Year's Eve at the beginning of this year. It was like Woodstock. Mm. Uh, I mean, you're talking hundreds of tents, and therefore... And no exaggeration, hundreds of people using it as a toilet. And it, it's, uh, it, isn't it in a water catchment area? Uh, we do get water, yes, we get water. Um, Which is a further complication of the, of the toilet issue. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, um, and of course, according to the season, how much water there is. Um, yep. We're going to the dry season quite soon. So, I mean, I carry up my own drinking water when I go up there. But for washing and toilets, we have... We have water supplies to the cabins. Yeah, mm -hmm. Dan, are you familiar with uh, you're familiar with the mountain camp? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, I've been in Hong Kong 22 years now, and one of my fondest memories in the beginning was 
uh, I hiked up to the, that area once, and then some friends of mine, Scott and Debbie Smith, who Mark may know, and hello, Mark. Hello, um, hello. Scott and Debbie Smith owned a cabin up there, and the Southern Baptists had a cabin separately, I think. Uh, but Scott and Debbie used to rent their cabin out. They invited us to come up and spend the weekend with them. It was a glorious review of uh, water droplets called fog. We were totally <laughs> fogged in. Mark knows well what happens up there. It's damp inside. It's damp outside. It's not exactly what you're hoping for. Um, but it's, uh, it's, an, uh, it's, it's hard to describe it really in words. It's such an amazing place. Just the area itself and the views. Uh, walking up there is wonderful, too. So, um, I'm sorry, Jim, what was your question? I got wandered no, off. No, just your, your experience of the place. Yeah, so um, it, it was delightful. Uh, and I, I've been up there probably in the 22 years, maybe 10 times, dozen times. Mm -hmm. Love it every time except for once when I organized a meet-up hike and brought some hikers up there. Uh, we came up and we got up to the summit, Sunset Peak, right? And we were totally fogged in. We inched our way over and found the sign. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, we're going to try to find the Lentile Trail again. And we made our way down all through these little, as Mark knows, there's many little trails all around there besides the main trail. And finally, I could see the upper house through the fog. And I'm, oh, right, we're okay now. Um, but it's, uh, it's a tremendous experience. And I, I want to say about the country, our country parks, and certainly Lantau qualifies and the camp qualifies, I was out of Hong Kong for five months this year on a kind of a working holiday in the Philippines. And then one month in the U.S., I came back in August, left in March, came back in early August, right when we got rid of the hotel quarantines. Mm. And um, once I got out of quarantine and came home and the weather improved, there were two things that really impressed me, having been gone, the longest period I'd ever been gone in 22 years from Hong Kong. Number one, Hong Kong is an incredibly beautiful place. It's incredibly beautiful, and I think, at least for me, sometimes I'm surrounded by it every day, even though I go hiking a lot, and still, that was one of my first impressions. The second one is, it's an amazingly uh, uh, interesting and... Uh, uh, somewhat complex place, but it's just the services we have, the quality of life mm. is phenomenal. I don't know any place in the world like Hong Kong, mm. where we have, in particular with the country parks all around us, this idea of being a world city, but then also you can walk or take a short bus ride or whatever, take the train, and all of a sudden you're in an amazing countryside. So mm. we are totally blessed by our countryside, and I know Mark agrees we have to preserve it. Mm. We're very lucky to have that access, aren't we? But, uh, but um, uh, as you say, uh, Mark Losby, uh, um, in the last few years, it's become a, a lot more busy up there, hasn't it? Um, oh. it's, it's, uh, I think especially at this time of year, um, I mean, there, there were lots of groups of young people there this weekend uh, all taking pictures and selfies because you get the silver grass and the, the sun shines on it and it looks really spectacular. And I mean, it's great to see so many people enjoying themselves, but I mean, do you think we need like extra, extra facilities up there uh, to cope with the numbers, such as uh, putting in toilets, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, just say, it is the time of year, you show the silver grass, so October, November, uh, people go up for their selfies, but also, with COVID, a lot of companies have not allowed people to carry their holiday leave over to the next year. Now, quarantine has been lifted recently, but certainly last year and to some degree this year, people are using up their holiday time by going up to Sunset Peak. So, uh, And this is without the previous years, we'd have coaches arriving from the mainland um, with tours and they'd have their, their, their 
tourist brochures looking for particular cabins and things. So these are just Hong Kong residents at the moment. Uh, um, so I think the numbers are, can only increase going up there. Isn't it, sorry, Mark, isn't that a danger then, re, re, refurbishing these uh, f uh, structures? We, we're just adding to demand. Haven't we got to get the services in first? Uh, I, I, I'm very against any toilets, anything being put up there, because I think that it's only if you're camping that you need toilets. Mm. The hikers can go through, so we're really focusing on creating the part. And by the way, the Ag and Fish Country Parks have done a superb job in renovating the, I don't know if you've been up those paths, but they've done a great job keeping them natural. Mm -hmm. and they should be praised for that. What mm. I think we now need to do is add some extra trails, well kept, mm. and to encourage people to keep to the paths and to keep off the grass. Mm. It's um, because that's what's damaging. I think the campsites need to be down the bottom. There's plenty of other campsites in, in Hong Kong because campsites necessitate having toilet facilities. Yes. Who is going to maintain those toilet facilities? You know, it's, it's a big job. Uh, so I think it's no, it's no to toilets. It's, it's um, in the same way that they've removed all the rubbish bins from country parks. I mean, I was when they first did that. I was a bit oh no, but actually, it's worked. Mm. The amount of laps that we have up there is it's gone less, and we've had more people, but less rubbish, actually. Because people do take it home with them. They do tend to do that, yes. The, the two yes. major ways to get up up there are, at both ends, there are toilets. Correct. And so I would think, I don't know, what could we do? Put up huge signs says, that says, yeah. uh, take it. care of your business now before you start up the trail. I don't know, just to remind people. Some people forget. They're so excited. They launch off. They get halfway up to the mountain and went, uh-oh. What do I do now? Well, well it, it is exciting up there, so yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, in fact, I was reading the other day uh, as well, in, in, in Wales, in UK, the authorities in Snowdonia, uh, reminding people if you're going to climb Snowdon, um, use, the, <laughs> use the toilet first, because there, yeah. there aren't any on the way. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah when we organize hikes in our group, at least uh, I think most of our leaders do this, one of the things we always do, there's two major things. Uh, transport and toilets. Yeah, yeah. We have to consider that in organizing our hikes and try to make sure there are toilets at the beginning for sure and sometimes hopefully in the middle and shelter and those kinds of things. Yeah. Mm. So, so, Mark, these, um, these huts, they're, they're all privately owned, aren't they? So, um, so yeah. how is it, it going to work in Jim. terms of... Uh, Jim, you were just up a... there. I have a hard time using the word hut or... Or oh, cabin chalet. for those oh, for those concrete. Okay. What are they? Sixteen well, inches so, thick or twelve uh, inches uh, thick? The word you were struggling for that it was chalet. Right, chalet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <Is> that, oh. <laughs> they're built of stone blocks, aren't they? And they're, they're very, they're very were, robust. Nineteen twenty-four was the start yeah. of the first one, and they they were cut from local stone. Local craftsmen made from local stone. They're sixteen inches thick. Mm. You could be up there in a typhoon, and you. And oh yeah. Uh, and not in any and danger. I think from that heritage point of view, it, it, they need to be preserved Absolutely. as well. Mm. Uh, and just going back to the point about Hong Kong being a fantastic city, absolutely, we get compared a lot with like Singapore, Shanghai, great cities, but neither city has this. Neither of them have the mountains exactly. in the middle there, none. Mm. And when you, I'm just back from Singapore last week, and you tell them about the buffaloes we have on Lanta, you talk about the going up the mountain there, and they... Yeah, it's a wonderfully unique thing that we have here. We do need to preserve it. And it's, it's a distinct, distinguishing feature. Absolutely, 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, we have people coming from all over the world to go hiking here. Yes. Yeah. And Singapore, we have lots of Singaporeans coming here for hiking. Uh, I've met people literally from all over the world who have hiked with me. The Japanese ladies used to come in, in quite substantive, elderly ladies and, and hike. I haven't seen many elderly, but occasionally we get Japanese hiking with us. Well, yeah. the, the reason, I guess, we're not getting many tourists at the moment, yeah. we're all familiar with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, mm. And actually, just on the age thing, it's, it's always remarkable. That the range of ages going up, up there is incredible. The government about, I don't know, it was eight years ago, were proposing to put a tram up, you know, like the peak tram. They oh. wanted a tram. Unfortunately, we managed to, to say no to that because... Mm. One of the things is it's a bit of exercise, you know. It's 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 a, uh, for some people a strenuous walk, especially in the summer. And I think we need those opportunities for exercise. We shouldn't be making things easier. Absolutely, and the average hiker can can get up there from Muiwo. Um, yeah, that that trail is the yeah. easiest route. Yeah. It's not super steep anywhere. It's yeah. pretty gradual most of the way. Then you can go back down the other two major ways the other side. So how, how long are we talking from Muiwo? Oh, gosh, I haven't gone that way in a while, Mark. What is it, about two well, and a half hours? Two and a half hours? No, it, it, it depends who you are. Of course. It depends yeah. who you are. So my, uh, it would take, well, from Namshan, it takes about an hour. So from where you were, maybe an hour and a half. But my, my, my sons can go up in half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to give myself four or five hours. <laughs> well, the, it depends what you carry. The three major trails are all different in terms of yeah. elevation gain. So yeah. if you would start it from Tungchung, you've got quite a walk uphill. Yeah, the, the two other ones are steep, as you say. So the one yeah. from Muiwo and Namshan is longer, but not as steep. Yeah. yeah. And it's got water on the way. So if you, are carrying a, if you have dogs with you, there are streams that the dogs can get in and mm -hmm. cool down. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, are the huts actually going to have a, a facelift? Chalets. Sorry, chalets, 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 chalets. I must get that right. right. <laughs> so they're going to be uh, they're going to be smartened up under this because yep. some of them are looking a little bit. Uh, what are they? Some some of them look like they're not very well used from the outside anyway. It is one. It's strange. It is because when I first went up there, I thought, oh, these are abandoned, and and that's one of the issues. And one of the reasons why I was very keen to come on this and, and we've made a video and things, because to let people, they are used, they look, because we, we keep them in the, the state. We don't want, don't want to do them up. We want to keep them in the original state so they have that look of being unused. And, it, of course, it does vary. Some are used more other than others. That's absolutely true. But the only one to be done up will be the caretakers. Mm -hmm. um, whether the... I think you mentioned only some owned by institutions and some owned, I think, by the Baptist Church and yeah. there's others there. I'm not sure whether they're intending to change at all, but the ones, most of them owned by private families, we're going to keep them as they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, just a small point as well. Is there a colour code? I mean, I noticed that, uh, like, uh, most of them, the, the, the shutters are... A, a blue. They all seem to be painted the same colour, similar colours. <laughs> I, yeah. I thought you meant, do you need your quarantine blue pass to go up there? <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to say, well, no. There's no colour code that vary. Um, mm. My one was, used to be white with blue shutters, but, mm. you know, after about a year, you've got to start painting again. Mm. Uh, every time we go up, there's work to be done, because uh, the, the weather up there is... is both wonderful and atrocious at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so what else can we uh, expect? I mean, you talked about uh, preserving the grassland. I mean, obviously that comes under under pressure when there are so many, uh, you know, so many feet uh, going over it. That, uh, uh, we're going to see sort of c certain areas m roped off or fenced off, or, or how's it going to work? Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. We want to restrict as much as we can, and you know, fencing off things because again, it's to keep it as natural. And mm. to completely contradict myself now, <laughs> what I would like to see in the summertime is getting the cows back up there. Right. They used to, the cows used to be herded up there for the summer, mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason being. The cows are, do present something of a problem on the roads down in, in Lantau. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, and there's a danger here they may be removed. But the cows used to be up there all the time in the summer, and I'd like to see that happen again. But, of course, I'm not quite sure how that will affect the grass. What, why, why did they stop going up there? Um, don't know. I think originally they were herded. They were herdsmen took them up, up there. Um, but sometimes you'll see them, if you go over the Tung Chung Road, you see cows quite, and we have found cow droppings up there recently, not, not mm. seen any, so I think some do get up, but in the main they're staying on the lowlands. Uh, again, not buffaloes, of course, but cows. Um, mm. I remember my, my wife, she, she was a, a student here in Hong Kong, she remembers being camped up there um, over summer holidays with the school, and the boys at night, would stampede the cows. And she said she'd be in a tent, she could hear the cows charging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we want to do that anymore, but uh, that's one feature which I'm not sure will happen, but I think will be a good move. Mark, what's the status of the pond down below the, uh, the uh, chalets? I haven't been down there in a while. I remember there was, a, if I recall, there was a species of salamander down there that's only found on Lantau and only in that spot, I think? Well, the, the thing, we've tried, it's got a leak. Um, we've tried up there over the years. We, we've taken concrete up. We, we've tried repairing it. It's got a bit of a leak, so it's not as deep as it should be. Um, if you ever do go, there's a tree there at the end. There's a, that's a grave as well. There's a, a guaipo was buried there many years ago. Um, so it's quite a special area. But it's not what it was because the water level's down. But... That used to have a diving board. I've seen videos of, uh, in the summer camp of kids doing uh, swimming races up and down that. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Apart from Lantau, what, are there any general issues that we apply to the rest of uh, the country parks and countryside? Well, certainly, Mike, uh, in our group, Hong Kong Hiking Meetup has been involved a lot in this area. Um, in restoration of the parks after typhoons, for example, different, uh, you know, we've had windfall and all that kind of thing. Um, our group has, is one of the top, or the top uh, organization supporting uh, Clean Up the Trails, Take Your Litter Home campaign by the AFCD. We've done tree planting, uh, and our leader, uh, S.K. Shum, uh, the starter, the originator of the group, and our leader now, is on the advisory board at the AFCD for country parks. So our 27,000-member group almost 27,000 members now, is able to have some influence in these areas. And uh, they also got involved in creating a new country park, the newest one out in uh, northern New Territories, uh, Robin's Nest area. That's our newest country park. And uh, the basic idea from our group is, as Mark, I'm sure, would agree with, we want to keep everything as natural as possible. Please don't go and pour concrete on our trails. 
there's enough concrete in Hong Kong. That was going to be my question. Are we getting the balance right? Because sometimes the paths have to be strengthened somehow, otherwise they degenerate to mud and so on and posing a threat to the slope. Are we getting the balance right? I think it's headed in the right direction from what I understand from SK's feedback from his meetings at AFCD and what's actually happening. Uh, occasionally I'll go on a hike where I haven't been in a while and I'll, I'll see they've put concrete down, concrete steps or whatever, and like, oh, man, we missed this. We should have uh, informed them. A lot of times, you, I would say most of the time, you don't need actual concrete to reinforce the, the paths. There are other means to do it which are not so intrusive and unnatural. Yeah, I can only yeah. speak from the, the uh, Sunset Peak, but and as I mentioned earlier, the, they've done a superb job of keeping it natural. They really have, and they've used, for runoffs, they've used uh, branches from the trees, and they've avoided doing the concrete. It's, I'm really impressed by that, actually, and hopefully we'll get new trails, they'll do the same thing. I, I was told that there weren't any, there was nobody left in Hong Kong who knew how to do it, and they got somebody from Taiwan to come and show us. I'm not quite sure how true that is, but... Wow. Uh, it's probably a dying skill, so, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, because the trails uh, over Sunset Peak, they're largely natural stone, aren't Correct. they? The ste yeah. steps yeah. are made from natural stone, and yeah. it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's very nice to walk on. Yeah. Mark, what, what route would you suggest for the first new trail to be built up there? Well, if, if, I, I, you know, if you're going up from Nam Shan, you get sort of almost sort of halfway up, and there's a little bit of a plateau bit there. There's a signpost to one side. So I'm suggesting rather than continuing up, you could go like on a contour round, right round the, the below the, the saddles, below the cabins, and come out joining up from the path from Pat Kung Ao. Mm. So some people like to go on a hike, but they don't, they've been up there, they don't necessarily need to go all the way up there. This would be a newer trail with different viewpoints. Uh, and an alternative, uh, and, and that would be one of them. And I don't think yeah. the north side you can do because it's a protected area with okay. the vegetation. So okay. I don't think that would work. But. All right. Well, uh, Mark Losby, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning. Mark's uh, chairman of the Lantau Mountain Camp uh, Residents Association. Um, we're just going to take a short break for a new summary. We'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, a quick look uh, at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy with one or two showers. Uh, top temperature around 26 degrees, uh, moderate to fresh easterly winds. Uh, the outlook... Uh, more showers in the next couple of days. It's going to be windy tomorrow. It's currently 24 degrees, humidity 76%. That I think for something as serious as deciding who the government is going to be, I think that uh, the various parties and coalitions do also need to exercise caution and not rush to a a rash decision because ultimately policy decisions over the next five years are at stake. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould, and also Dan Van Hoy, assistant organiser with the Hong Kong Hiking Meetup Group. And we're talking this morning about uh, facilities in country parks. Um, before the news, we were talking uh, mostly about the, the Lantau Mountain Camp on Lantau Peak, which is due for uh, a renovation. Um, we're going to sort of broaden out the conversation somewhat. Uh, to talk about uh, f facilities generally in country parks. If you want to uh, join in, leave a message. Our back chat is um, back chat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us 
at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233-88-266. So we were talking about the importance of keeping everything as natural as possible, but, um, I mean, would it be a good idea if, like, more uh, public toilets were introduced into country parks or into, into at least at the be- beginning of uh, trails in country parks? What do you think, Dan? Um, of course, of course. Uh, we, we want more people to get out and enjoy our countryside, and that's going to require the facilities to handle them. Mm. So, indeed, I would like to see another thing. When I first arrived in Hong Kong 22 years ago, I went, uh, way out in the, in the northeast New Territory, or sorry, out by Saikong towards uh, Big Wave Beach and all that, way, way out uh, to hike over to the Big Wave Beach. And I'll never forget, I think that was my first hike in Hong Kong. So you get off the highway and you descend into a uh, uh, marshland type area. Out in the middle of this marshland, there's a public toilet. And there's no little village around or anything, just right along the, the path is this public toilet. And I thought, wow. Hong Kong is an amazing place. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Dan, about maps. Do we have enough maps, and are they readily available? I love maps. You're mm-hmm. talking to a map lover. Since I was a kid, I took my paper route money to buy topographical maps from the U.S. Geological right. Survey. Mm-hmm. I love, I'm a map lover. I use maps. I rarely use my uh, phone and a map with GPS, rarely do. There's a series of hiking maps available mm-hmm. from the maps department. Uh, you can go, and there's, I think it's six. Which is where now? The Countryside Series. Yeah, the Countryside Series, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Jim is uh, familiar with them. Uh, there's uh, Yamate, Jordan area. There's one of the maps department. The other one's on Hong Kong Island I've never been to, I think. Yeah, uh, and some of the bookstores also right. uh, have them. The, re- well, the reason so. I ask this is our helper is an incredible hiker. She goes almost every weekend with a group of uh, fellow Filipinas. Um, and she's always asking me, how do I get to so-and-so? How do I get to so-and-so? Um, I've got to be able to tell her that. Yeah. That will improve things. But that map series would help a lot, for sure. Yes, absolutely. And I'm just wondering whether it's all, all in English and Chinese? Uh, it's both, yeah. Uh, but there's another side to that, Mike, and that is it's one thing to have a map. It's another thing to know how to use it. Yes, to know how to read. So I used to teach map reading. That just yeah. gives me an idea for a future seminar. I've done some, uh, one seminar and hope to do more with the Hong Kong Observatory regarding weather mm-hmm. and hiking and outdoors. Mm-hmm. That would be a great seminar for, for map reading, uh, just for this kind of person that maybe is not familiar with how to use maps. Right. And uh, more education on the precautions to take before you go? Well, absolutely. Um, I did a seminar at the uh, convention center over in Kowloon City one time about this topic. And basically I said, be prepared for everything when you go out. Be prepared for everything. doesn't matter if it's sunshine, the sun shining, whatever it is when you leave. By the time you start, especially in the summer, you could be in the middle of a huge thunderstorm. Uh, so you've got to prepare. You've got to know what the weather is likely to be. You've got to be prepared for anything, lightning, rain, whatever. When you're planning your route, like your helper, I would plan a route and think in the summertime, uh, okay, what if a thunderstorm hits us? Is there going to be some shelter for us to go to along the way? And I would think through what shelter I could go to if something happened. Right. So the first thing is to get maps into their hands. Does the map office have a sales division? Do they get out there and... (laughs) 
No, but I think more, more people need to know about it for sure. Yes, for I, sure. Mean, that, that, I think that was my point. Yeah. That, that here we have people who are interested in hiking mm -hmm. and don't know where to get the maps. And I would encourage people who don't hike often to go out with somebody that does and learn from them, mm -hmm. right? Where we can go back, if we look at the history of people that have gotten in trouble in the country parks, sometimes resulting in death, it's almost always because uh, they had little experience about preparedness and what to look out for. And uh, it, I mean, let's face it, the outdoors in Hong Kong in the summer especially can be a dangerous place. You, you have to prepare, you have to be ready for everything. All right, I think you may have to take me up to Sunset Peak. <laughs> no, 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 no. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we have talked uh, quite a bit on this uh, program about uh, about hiking safety, and uh, so now uh, uh, the police and the fire services they've they've launched a, a campaign. It's called uh, the Project Hill Pal campaign, and they're essentially advising people against uh, going hiking solo, and that. Uh, and urging everyone to, to install a GPS app to make uh, tracking easier. And how, how would you? Uh, and they've come up with a number of figures as well that says, you know, if, if you are on your own and you have an accident, the chance of it turning into a fatality is quite a lot higher than if you're out with a group, which I suppose makes sense, doesn't it? So, but, but anyway, what, what, what are it, your thoughts about that? It depends that? on what you're doing, right? Mm. What kind of walk you're doing. If mm. you're just hiking on the major trails and you're by yourself, I don't see a problem with that. Personally, as I shared earlier when we were off air, I've been hiking since I was a young boy. Mm -hmm. So it's very natural for me and I love it. But I also love, that's why I'm a leader in Hong Kong hiking meetup, taking people out to explore and enjoy our countryside. I cannot tell you how many times I've had local people who've hiked with me and I've taken them, especially maybe out in the Northern New Territories or other places like that. And uh, they're like, wow, I was born here. Mm. Uh, I've lived here my whole life. I had no idea. No idea. How about signposting? Is the signage good? Hong Kong is amazing in that regard. Our signs, and you can start a trail, there's a map there for you. Um, I would say the signage is excellent. Of course, there can be some improvement. I was just, the, the Yun Tun Ancient Trail, which finishes near Yun Long, there's never a sign there at the end of that trail. So people coming the other way maybe couldn't find it. But the last time I took a group up there, the AFCD, I guess, had put a sign in. So uh, uh, it's like I. Uh, communicated to them telepathically and they did it because uh, it was definitely needed there. So the signs are good, the maps are good. Uh, I would, again, for people who are experienced hiking, I think going out on your, on your own, except for something like a stream trek, which people love here in Hong Kong, or bushwhacking, nah, I wouldn't recommend that, going by yourself. I've done it a couple times by myself on weekdays when nobody else is available. Mm -hmm. But then I'm checking in on WhatsApp and letting my friend, at least one friend, know exactly where I am and doing a fixed GPS fix. I did that up to Wang Ling one time. How about liaison between your organization and the government department? It's excellent because of S.K. Shum, our, right. our founder. He's on the, the uh, advisory board there at the AFCD. So we've got a direct line to them and then from there to the rest of the government to uh, present these ideas in a way that's compelling. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. It sounds almost too good. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's perfect, Mike. Obviously, it's, perfect. Uh, it's not perfect, and there's still a ways to go. Uh, but I think education is important. This idea of uh, encouraging people to learn about the countryside, learn how to go out, be prepared. Like uh, in the wintertime, for example, even though I'm going on a day hike, well, this is true any time of the year, I always have a flashlight, a torch with me. I always, even on a day hike, because you never know, something could happen, where you're, whether you're by yourself or not, 
and uh, you're delayed, you have to spend the night, you need to think, okay, if something should happen and I can't go back home today, what would I need and want with me? Not that you're going to fill up your backpack to the brim, but just the essentials, right? right? Yeah, you ought to get the balance right. You yeah, in the, carrying- winter, in the wintertime, I'll always bring a, a, a little jacket with me, uh, even if it's a nice day, winter, and this, this time of year. Uh, so just very important. It's not just like going for a walk in Hong Kong Park. You really need to think about preparing and being ready for everything. We were talking before about uh, large numbers on Lantau, on um, Sunset Peak on Lantau, but uh, does that apply to uh, other country parks? I mean, it's, it, it's a while since I've been out to, like, Sai Kung area, for instance. I mean, is, that, uh, is this time of year getting particularly busy in those areas? Yeah, Sai Kung is, mm-hmm. is an issue, but there's a limiting factor there called the traffic. Right. Uh, right. The transportation yeah, yeah. hiking out there is really... There's some wonderful places to hike, but honestly, I don't hike out there often, especially on weekends and holidays. It's just too troubling uh, transportation-wise mm-hmm. to make it all work, especially if I'm taking 15, 20 people with me. It becomes mm-hmm. real problematic. Another area, uh, oh, I love this, in Tai Lam Chung Reservoir, um, there's this place that people call the Thousand Islands Viewpoint. You maybe mm-hmm. have read about it, to see the reservoir and there's maybe 20 islands, by the way, just a little secret. I think I counted 20. Uh, maybe I'm close. But anyway, it's a beautiful viewpoint of the reservoir in that area, and people love it. The AFCD has, has improved that area, so there's a nice path up there. That area gets very crowded. Now we're getting into the autumn leaves time. So in Tai Tong, we're going to see people going out to Tai Tong and other places to see the uh, these little – they're little – I'm a North American guy. We have big leaves, okay, big maple leaves. They're little ones out there in Tai Tong, but they're still nice to see. What about? Very, water. Very colorful. Yeah. People yeah. need to carry water. I remember the the only time I got really uh, handicapped on a hike was I was carrying as much water as I physically could, and it wasn't enough. Um, there, can we get more? Maybe some standpipes and things. Do we, well, the FC, the FCD has started in, in cooperation with Bonacqua, uh, Coca Cola, I guess. Um, fill your own bottle stations. So, like, for example, at, uh, um, at uh, Leadmine Pass, the junction of the Wilson Trail and right. the McLehose Trail, at that t- public toilet there, uh, there's, a, there's a water filling station. So then you don't have to carry so much. So that would be a, a big improvement. Continue to add more of those water filling stations so people don't have to bring so much water. But you've touched on a key point, uh, uh, Mike, that this is a huge issue in the summer. People don't bring enough water typically, yeah. and that gets them into a lot of trouble. Because I remember delaying. I was doing the Wilson Trail, and I deliberately waited until late October, beginning of November to do it. Um, and I, I started at the north. I started at the, the northern end to, to come south. And Pat Sin Leng, whoa, wiped me out. <laughs> I could tell you stories about Pat Sin Leng. <laughs> yeah, it's, and even in the wintertime, of course, it's not as hot and humid, but it's drier. Yeah. So then we still need more water. And I, I do a 50-50 thing. Uh, in the summer especially, I'll bring 50, half of my water has electrolyte I put into it, powdered or liquid electrolyte to replenish the electrolytes that are sweated out. The other half is regular water. That's just another tip. Okay, I'm I'm not too keen on the electrolytes. We'll look for you out on the trails, Mike. uh, Fresh water, fresh water. Okay. That's good. So just out of interest, um, what's your favorite part of Hong Kong? What's your favorite country park or favorite area to hike in? You know, people ask me that, Jim, and yeah. I, I, I have so many. But uh, I, uh, 
there's just honestly so many. Um, I, I can't pick one in particular. Yeah. I'm not far yeah. from Untung Chai yeah. Waterfalls yeah. out in Lamchun right. area. Right. That's one of my right. favorites for sure. Yeah. Okay. I did the little Hawaii Trail uh, oh, yeah. a couple of years ago, and that's popular. Uh, another popular place. Very po so many little waterfalls all the mm. all the way down. Mm. Uh, it was really really beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Great. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the programme. Uh, Dan Van Hoy, assistant organiser with the Hong Kong Hiking Meetup Group. Uh, very nice uh, conversation. Um, and enjoy the rest of the day and enjoy the rest of your uh, hiking week. You go out most days, I take it. Yeah? I'm going out a... today because the right. rain's coming tomorrow. Right. right. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, it is gonna be, looks like it's going to be wet for the next few days. But uh, thanks a lot. So uh, we're going to switch uh, our attention now to um, another topic and uh, and that is um, an annual survey by the Hong Kong Toilet Association. I guess this is partly related to what we've just been talking about because because uh, um, on the line um, we have uh, Alex Choi who's a past chairman of the Hong Kong Toilet Association. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Good morning. In interesting to look at your survey. We we've been talking about country parks and facilities oh, sure. and country oh, parks, and, and I noticed that, that you say, uh, yeah, uh, so more attention needs to be paid to uh, public toilets in country parks, especially the mobile public toilets. Uh, yes. Uh, as we said in the press conference, uh, the mountain trail in Hong Kong actually is very popular among international hikers and trailers. And um, having toilets of that kind of quality really is not doing well to the Hong Kong reputation. So I think, but currently we, we, we do have the technology and do have the manufacturing expertise to really produce better equipped toilets that we can mm. put in the, in the, in the countryside. Mm. So uh, I think it's a matter of whether they are really paying attention to it. It's just not whether they can do it or not. Uh, it, there does seem to have been something of an upgrade going on. I mean, I've seen, uh, I've seen um, um, newly installed public toilets in country parks yes. with like solar uh, they power are, they are, and they are things some, like that, they, running water. There's something mm. being uh, carried on, but I think it's at a very, very slow pace. Right. And, the other, uh, the right. other thing, Alex, is it's, yes. it's, it's, high. It's, high. it's management. It's Definitely. got to be. I remember we had this discussion when the big campaign was uh, announced to upgrade all these public toilets. But whether they're public toilets or, or private ones, if they're not being managed properly, the situation deteriorates very, very quickly. Definitely. You're exactly on the point. I mean, uh, in, the, in, in the last few years, the, the Leisure and Cultural Service Department has been putting a lot of effort to uh, upgrade and renovate some of the public toilets. And I can say that the hardware actually is quite, is quite good, it's quite reasonable. But not all of them are being managed properly. One uh, is the uh, public toilet uh, uh, just above the Wan Chai MTR station. That one, they have also those uh, smart toilet facilities and whatnot. But um, immediately after it's opening, you start to have wet floors, you start to problem here and there. It is really... Um, the, the, having the right hardware is only just the beginning. Mm. Having the proper management is the way to go to have a long-term uh, high standard of these public toilets. And I can, for example, uh, last year's school winner, it is a public toilet outside the wet market in the... Uh, in uh, Hoan, the name is uh, uh, Smithfield uh, Government House Wet Market. Smithfield, I mean, right, I mean right, that, yeah, yeah. That, mm. that location by default is challenging, right? It's just outside mm. the wet market. Yeah. But it's really properly managed. I mean, when, when I went there last year, it, I was so impressed. And, and having in, in that kind of 
location context, they still manage a very, very property management. I think, I think uh, it's really uh, the, the government and the, and the operator really to cultivate, uh, nurture a kind of culture for the front, uh, frontline uh, people to really take care of the toilets. And, and then we see examples like this. We're seeing some of the workers are really doing their job well. That was going to be my question. Is the, does the government manage some of them directly or are they all contracted out? As I know, they all they all contract out. Right. I, I may be wrong, but as far as I know, they all contract out. That makes sense, because uh, governments tend not to want to operate those things directly themselves. It, it seems it's not very attractive for a civil service position. Uh, um, I'm not sure the reason, but one thing that we have been we have been pushing the government in the press conferences, uh, they I think I would suggest them to impose a type of a pawn system, right? for third-party auditor to put a point system. If the contractor is not performing based on the uh, minimum criteria, they should be disqualified from tendering for further contract. I mean, that, that you really, you know, keep that on the toe to make sure that they, 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 they're paying enough attention. Mm. Are these all minimum wage jobs, though? Uh, I would like to think so. I would like to think so. It's, it's not... I mean, I mean, for the toilets that we are, we are, we are, we are, we are having... We're finding the, the good, uh, the, the frontline uh, workers, they are all kind of individual effort. It's not a systematic way to improve right. the management service. I think that's the point. I mean, we, we do come, every now and then, we come across very good frontline workers. Okay. But we cannot depend on our luck. We, we should really cultivate a system, a culture, to make sure that they're properly managed. I think that's the point. Well, let's just uh, remind the listeners, uh, those who um, may not be aware, uh, I mean, this was a major survey, 400 different uh, toilets, more than 400 different toilets in all 18 districts. And then and then the gold award went to the uh, Peak Tower public right. toilet, uh, silver Stanley Municipal Services uh, building public toilet and the bronze to the Rumsey Street multi-storey car park uh, public toilet. So, so uh, just remind us, um, Alex Choi, what, what do you look for when you when you're deciding on you know which is the best? Right. I mean, when, when you go to a public toilet, right? I mean, you you are looking for a toilet that is proper, uh, properly lit, that's properly ventilated. You don't have any wet floor. You don't have any bad smell. I think these are kind of the minimum mm -hmm. and then you may want to look at better facility for the disabled like the the uh the toilet which won the gold award in the peak uh they have the uh environmental friendly and the and the touchless system uh in the basin where you have the, the water tab you have the uh soup dispenser and the blow dryer all touchless mm -hmm. i mean these are uh added added value to the toilet i mean all better for usually, hygiene. Usually what happens to the wet floor is when you wash your hands, you need to walk to the uh, tissue box or to the litter box and water drip from your hand. And this is one of the reasons causing the wet floor. Mm -hmm. And if you have all that within the, the basin area, I think that, that, that helps a lot. That yeah. helps a lot. Of course, I think many people prefer to use the paper towels now rather than the machines because yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, the machines spread the viruses, actually. Uh, actually, uh, there has been there has been a study suggesting otherwise, but yes, but that that could be. I mean, if, if that is a public opinion, there could be choices as well. But the the point is, they are all within the same compartment where you don't have to walk away. You can you can handle all those, uh, 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 all the whole process of washing your hand in, in the same cabinet. I think that's the point. Yes, uh, if you've got to walk a long way, uh, we're talking relatively here. But if you've got to walk five meters. 
But the water trail is quite serious. I mean, I've been yeah. to so many toilets. I mean, we're actually seeing all those water trails. <laughs> People are sh- going to shake their hands on the way to the dryer. Yes, usually we do that. So right. you make, the, make that distance as short as possible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. That was uh, Alex Choi, past chairman of the Hong Kong Toilet Association. Um, a quick announcement from the Transport Department. Uh, uh, owing to a traffic accident, the Sloan Lane of uh, Long Mun Road, um, Long Ku Tao, uh, bound near uh, Long Fu Road roundabout, is closed to all traffic. And joining us now is our RTHK sports reporter, Atom Jung, who's here to talk about the World Cup in Qatar. Atom, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, uh, spectacular opening ceremony uh, out in the desert, 40 kilometres uh, and a 60,000-seater uh, stadium in the, uh, uh, what's it called? What was it called? The Albite Yeah, stadium. the Albite Stadium. And, and, and um, yeah, and then, um, and then a disappointment for the, for the home side in the opening match. Yeah, it's really too bad. It's not only the fact that they lost, but the way it happened. They got totally outplayed by Ecuador. Um, and so, so now they're the, the, the first host of a World Cup to lose their opening match. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you watch it, you could tell like, right away the players look nervous. Um, Ecuador actually scored three goals in the first half. The same player, Enner Valencia, put mm. the ball into the net three mm. times. The first one was Almost called back. Mm. Yeah, and then they ended up winning 2-0. But the worst of it was that the fans leaving in the second half. Because mm. by the end of it, only a third of the stadium was, was, was seated. People were just really upset by it. Oh, wow. Mm. Um, did they train enough or did they have enough time for training? I heard there was a problem about that. They couldn't get together. You know, it's kind of ironic because they, they've actually been together the longest of all the teams. Right. They've been trending towards this. Uh, all their players play in their domestic Qatari league, so they didn't have to put up with the interruption that the guys had to deal with, guys who play in Europe and South America. So they actually had quite a long time together. And the coach there, the Spanish coach, uh, Felix Sanchez, he's from the Barcelona youth system. He's been in coaching in Qatar since 2006, so they knew he was going to be the coach for this. So they were sort of really prepared towards this. And then... They uh, really failed when it mattered it, most. It sounds like no excuse. <laughs> no. Are no Ecuador excuse. among the favorites? No, well, and that's another thing. They're ranked 44th in the world. So if you look at their group, this is supposed to be, be their, well, quote-unquote, easiest game before they have to face the likes of Senegal and the Netherlands. Right. And, and, of course, much less preparation time for the European teams. And, uh, and, and tonight we've got England in action and Wales. Oh, yeah, that, that's the big one. So let's talk about England first. Uh, you guys know the narrative, okay? 1966, uh, the last time they won the World Cup. Um, it d- depends on how you want to look at it, okay? So they went to the final in the Euro 2020, lost on penalties. I don't know if you want to focus on the positive or the negative. At least they made it to the final, right? And then in the last World Cup, hey, at least they reached the semifinals, right? So you can focus on that. I was at the last one and I saw them play uh, in Russia. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I saw England against uh, Panama and uh, Harry Kane scored a hat-trick. And the Panamanian fans rose and gave him a standing ovation. 
which I thought was tremendous uh, for their sportsmanship. Uh, so the World Cup has lots of positives, but, you know, I'm not British anymore. <laughs> but I almost take up religion when I watch England because they, they need help from somewhere. Yeah, they, they totally do. And they actually played well four years ago. They went up yep. against a tough team against Croatia who ended up going to the final. So, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, well, well, here's the thing. Another thing about England is uh, they did not do well at all in the Nations League. They didn't, they didn't win any of their six games. They got relegated. So that's also something on the back of, of their minds, on top of the injury issues mm. on the team. Well, as, as mentioned, uh, so England are, play, England are playing Iran, and, and Wales are playing Dan Van Hoy's team, the United States. So, <laughs> yeah. so what this kind is, of game This is interesting. There, yeah. So again, the narrative, you know, Wales, they haven't been in the World Cup in 64 years. Right. Uh, I think this is the Gareth Bale game. He is the best player on the pitch. He has to show up, all right? There isn't another player, another big name that really scares you on the pitch, except for maybe Christian Pulisic on the United States. He plays for Chelsea, right. so he could be a threat. Uh, the U.S. coming to this, they have a bit of a chip on their shoulders, too, because they missed the last World Cup. So they've brought a, a young team. Uh, so you don't know what to expect, but I expect Bale to really step up for Wales. And the, the U.S. coach has already warned his team about Bale yes. specifically, uh, and saying, "Look, there's one guy on the park who can do it, do it all." Exactly, exactly. Um, so so I, I think Bale has to step up. This is, you know, he's been talking so much about how proud he is to to represent Wales at the World Cup. He's played in so many international tournaments, Champions League, and everything. This is the one that he has never played in. Where you've obviously got the whole schedule for the whole uh, preliminary rounds, and yeah. then uh, even though we don't know who's going to be in them, the quarterfinals and the semifinals and so on. When they're going to be, where can ordinary members of the public get hold of the schedule? Oh, man, I just check online. Mm -hmm. Everything is online. Uh, I did print out a whole schedule of all the groups. So basically, I mean, just to put it into perspective. So, for example, today, the uh, England game. So, so the way it works is they have a 9 p.m. game tonight. That's mm -hmm. England versus Iran. Mm -hmm. Then there's a game at midnight, Senegal and Netherlands, and then 3 a.m. So if you want to stay up to watch the U.S., it starts at 3 a.m. You can either stay up late or just wake up really early. <laughs> All right, so they're n 9 and, and, and midnight and 3. Uh, that's right, 9, midnight and 3. And then for the last round of the group games, it's um, 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. And you have two matches happening at the same time okay. from each group. All right, well, thanks very much, uh, Atom, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow uh, at the same time. Okay, no problem. And thank you to uh, our listeners. Uh, thanks very much.